0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Policy Punchline. This is a podcast show where we invite scholars, policymakers, and business executives to share their unique insights on policy-related issues in our world today. I'm Princeton sophomore Tiger Gao. Today, we're, we want to continue our conversation on healthcare and health policy, but from a perspective outside the U.S. to pro- provide us some fresh insights on the various kinds of healthcare systems in our world today, and how the U.S. could learn from them. Professor Reinhard Busa is the director of the Department of Healthcare Management at Technische Universität Berlin. He is co-director of the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies and editor-in-chief of the international peer-reviewed journal Health Policy. His research focuses on health systems, health policy, health services, economics, um, epidemiology, and public health. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Busse. It's a pleasure, thank you. Awesome. So your research is quite interdisciplinary between medicine, economics, politics, and public health. Uh, Would you mind giving us a quick description of your research goals and some of your uh, recent work?
1: Yeah, I try. I mean, as you rightly say, we, we really tackle a broad range of issues, and we do that because many of the issues related to health, healthcare, and health policy really require that you cannot concentrate on tiny bits. But that you need to understand them from, from, let's say, an epidemiological and an economic uh, perspective. So, when colleagues of mine ask me, What are you really doing? What are you specialized in? I say, My specialty is not really being too specialized. We are trying to cover the broad range of issues around health systems. So, on the macro level, then health services, health institutions, hospitals, um, care programs for patients at the, what we call the meso level right down to the micro uh, level where we look at particular technologies be they uh, drugs, be they medical devices, or be they te- technologies like surgical interventions or, or also organizational interventions. And so in my research I look at whole health systems, and that part is uh, part also, or this is related closely to what we do for the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies. And uh, this observatory was founded 20 years ago because there was a, there was the policy makers, but also researchers felt there was a need to come to better. Evidence based health policy decisions which mean you need to understand how health systems run What are the effects of health systems on the health of the population? But also other outcomes like the responsiveness do health systems really meet the expectations of the population and clearly efficiency or cost-effectiveness of of, uh, health uh, systems and so international organizations like the World Health Organization, the World Bank and uh, national governments as well as academic institutions came together and founded this uh, European Observatory. So this this not only looks at whole health systems even though that's the largest bit, we also look at certain policies in areas like pharmaceutical policies and compare them across countries. And just recently Last week we met with scholars from around the world in preparation of the G20 summit meeting because we prepare a document on the economic impact
0: on health systems. On behalf of uh, WHO?
1: Yes, it's it's a worldwide initiative and the European Observatory is doing this on behalf of the World Health Organization and it will be fed the short version to the heads of government themselves when they meet in, in Japan. Uh, next month and later there's a more elaborated document which will then go to the health ministers when they meet in October. So this is health systems and I'm, and I'm especially uh, interested in what we call the health system performance assessment so that we find good indicators on how we measure the success uh, of health systems, because in many countries we have policymakers and say we have a good health system, and you have the issue here in in, in the U.S. We have it in Germany that, that policymakers say we have the best health system, and maybe if there are, if there's a ranking showing that we are doing not so good, then the ranking is is done wrong wrongly. <laughs> so I'm trying to um, to to advance what we what how how we can how we can do do that and uh, we and it's important that, that 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 we really find out where are there good data but also how can we combine d- data to meaningful indicators and probably the biggest question about health systems is how much health do health system produce per euro or per dollar spend and this is what we are what what we are wor- working at and uh, in my department we have one of four uh, health economic centers in Germany which are funded by our our government and we really look with eco, with economic methods and instruments how we can uh, analyze uh, health uh, health systems then but then we also go further down we collaborate with col- colleagues in in clinical institutions in Berlin we have the the, the biggest medical University Hospital in Europe called the Charité and we collaborate with them for example in the intensive care unit how we can improve care for um, ventilated patients that they get off ventilation quicker in the under the assumption that then the the quicker they go off from ventilation even though our diagnosis-related group payment system incentivizes hospitals to keep them long on, on, on ventilation. So but we say it would be economically from a societal perspective, but also for the patients better if we get them off quicker and then we follow them up and see whether those patients uh, have better health and better cost effectiveness. And last but not least, and I have been active in this area for a long time, both within Germany and on the European seen is what, what we call uh, health technology assessment. Yep. HTA. HTA, yes. And um, the, the funny thing is really it was invented more or less here <laughs> in, in the United States when uh, in the 1980s there was an Office for Technology Assessment set up by US Congress. Technology assessment is not only in health. I mean, you, we do, you can do technology assessment also in, in, in other areas, in climate technologies, in the um, traffic uh, things, like when, 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 you, when, you, when, you, when you do seat belts or new cars, uh, new other technologies, and you do technology assessment. And technology assessment in healthcare, so health technology assessment, basically looks at the question, if we employ a certain technology, can be a drug, medical device, surgical technique, or an organizational thing, like that. We say we have a stroke unit. So we combine all the different disciplines, all the technologies for people having a stroke. And then we look at the health effects over normal care, or for a new drug, over what care was before this drug was introduced. But we also, we not only look for, like from randomized controlled trials, because we ask ourselves how would people really react if we in, in, introduce it. And so how would, would they accept it? Would physicians really prescribe it? Would, 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 would persons follow up? And also within professions, I mean, we have seen big changes in the whole cardiology uh, care. We used to have that cardi- cardiac surgeons were much more important than, the, than radiologists. The cardiologists them, themselves came with angiography and, and good health technology assessment then also says, okay, what are the implications for, 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 for health care? Do we need more cardiologists and fewer cardiac surgeons? And last but not least, what would be the financial implications? In Europe, it's typically used before the decision is made whether this technology should be paid from the public resources. So whether in the UK, the National Health Service should pay for it from tax money, or in Germany, whether we in our uh, social health insurance system should pay for this new technology.
0: Uh, You are one of the most authoritative voices in the systematic and comparative description and evaluation of German and European health system, and you were just mentioning concepts like evidence-based health policy research, you improve care, um, and, and you mentioned this concept of social health um, um, insurance. So I, I really want to ask you a little bit more about the systematic comparisons between different health systems, because many scholars have praised you for having such a deep understanding of policy and culture and politics. and. Um, so, so, can you explain the fundamental reasons and structures of the, of the German health system and, and uh, what's it like right now?
1: Uh, good, good. I mean, that you ask, I, 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 I do specialize obviously on, on the German health system, but it's at least as important or a prerequisite um, that people understand how to describe and analyze health systems. I often run international programs and we have just set up a new master program on health systems research and management in Ghana at the Kwame Krumah University of Science and Technology there. And so the first thing is before people go off and try to describe their own health system, we need to, I I say, I mean we can address health systems like engineers and maybe I'm also at the University of Technology, so I have engineering colleagues, and, and I, I wouldn't say that that has de- determined my thinking, but it's close to that. So I say we need to think, okay, what is a health system? And then I, I go to my students and say, let's think of a, of a triangle first. And we have the population, and we have the providers, and, what, and we have what, what, what we call the, the third-party payers, and we have the regulator. I usually put the regulator in the middle. So the regulator determines the rules of the game. The, term, the, the regulator would write laws. Or in Germany, we, we have a, um, a delegated system to which I come in, in a minute. And so they, they say, okay, which institutions, which people can, uh, can provide services. For example, obviously you need regulation who can be a physician, Uh, What what kind of services can they produce uh, on the the side of the population? Somebody has to make a decision whether people need to be insured or whether they have a choice to be insured or not insured. Obviously, it's a bad idea if if you allow people not to be insured. And also in Germany, we had this debate for a long, long time. And in that way, we are similar to, to the U.S. system. When our chancellor, Bismarck, To improve the status and the rights of blue-collar workers uh, 135 years ago so we are now back in the 1880s when, when he said okay people work they are they are paid as daily laborers and if they are unable to work then that day they don't make any income and and they cannot feed their their family paying for health services was only the secondary concern at that time So he introduced this social health insurance, which basically means that people are insured with institutions which we call sickness funds. And sickness funds are non-for-profit organizations. And the insured, we call them members because you choose your your sickness fund and you're a member and you vote for the board. And so it's, it's actually running more like a club and and the executives which are elected by the board run the sickness fund to to ensure that good health services are available to the people who belong to one of these funds. So initially in Germany 135 years ago, it was was something both for social purposes, but also because these people had higher needs, while richer people were felt by the government could care for, for themselves. And clearly over time, with health services having become more and more expensive it's also an issue for richer people how to pay for health services and second and that is why we now talk of this universal health coverage on, on a global scale it, it we have come to an, to the conclusion that for good health insurance the poor and ill people of course they need health insurance to be able to pay for health care but the rich need to be insured as well because they, they pay the money inside the system. <laughs> if you would only have a health insurance where only the, 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 the sick are insured, yeah, I mean, then there would not be in, in, in enough money. And I think this is often forgotten. And when, when, when we, from the outside of the U.S., look at the U.S. system, I think this is the thing which we say, why don't they understand it? The young and healthy need to be insured so that there is money to pay for the poor and, 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 and ill persons. But in Germany, that also took us until 2009. So we have universal health coverage meaning that the entire population is covered for health insurance mandatorily. I mean, even before we had like 99.9% insurance, but it was voluntary. It shows that people did take it on a voluntary basis, but 10 years ago we made it mandatory, but that was 125 years after the the inception. So people choose their sickness fund, their third-party payer, But interestingly, we have about 110 of these in in Germany. Interestingly, no matter to which sickness fund you belong, because they have joint associations to ensure that independent of to which of the 110 sickness funds you belong, you can go to any physician in the country, to any hospital, show your uh, health insurance card and, and, and get service. And so the sickness funds, they, they do differ on, on the fringes of the benefit baskets so or what services do they pay, but the big core like 98% of the services are, are, are the same. They can go into niches, they can do improvements in healthcare, but really for the ordinary thing, if people need to go to their family physician, to specialists, to the hospital, whether it's elective or emergency, they can trust that, that, that the system takes care of it. So when you go in Germany to a hospital, the hospital takes your health insurance card and except for a really small co-payment of 10 euro per day, you don't pay anything independent of, of how high the costs uh, are. And to ensure that the conditions are applicable across all 110 sickness funds, and across all 2,000 hospitals, and across all 150,000 physicians in, in, in ambulatory care, we have what we call the Federal Joint Committee. And the Federal Joint Committee is like a little parliament. And the physicians are represented there. The hospitals are represented there. And the sickness funds as third-party payers are represented there then there are a few neutral members so it really functions like a little healthcare parliament and they set the rules to ensure that the conditions on accessibility on quality are really the same all across the country
0: Uh, you mentioned this idea that in germany young people also need to be insured the not sick people also need to be insured in order to make the whole system works. I, I guess that's kind of like the idea of immunization, right? You get your vaccine shot, um, n- not just because you're in the area that's likely to be affected, but rather you need everybody to be vaccinated in order for the vaccine to work. And
1: Yes, and we know that from, I was just saying, we, we, are, we are preparing this document for the G20 summit. And in immunizations, it should be clear that you have Beneficiaries who benefit from the immunizations of others, but with healthcare, it's actually the same. We we, we have a phenomenon which which we would k- describe as social cohesion. So if you if you live in a country where you know that everybody is covered, you feel better reassured. I mean, don't, I mean, but e- that's,
0: don't you think there's a cultural factor in, in that sense? Because in America, when when Obamacare. Had this idea of everybody getting in short, people thought their freedom is being infringed, their liberty, their their freedom to choo- choose. Whereas in Germany, people th- thought about solidarity, taking care of each other. Do you think there's a cultural factor? There is a cultural factor, but I mean the
1: the um, when you when you really look look down down to it, it's really on a worldwide global scale that the U.S. is going to be more and more the outsider. The countries of the world have with the sustainable development goals. Uh, the one on health says that 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 the, 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 the overarching goal is to have universal health coverage, exactly for the reasons I said. You need to cover the poor people, and you need to cover the rich people to, to get the money. There is debate, and there are cultural differences between European and, let's say, East, East Asian countries, how far the solidarity should, should go, so more or less whether all the costs should be covered by society or whether, there's, whether, there's, whether, there are, whether there are co-payments. But the general idea is accepted basically around the world, whether you go to Africa or Asia. And we see countries like Thailand, which have embarked much more recently than, than Germany, on, on health insurance, but everybody is, is, is covered there. So it's not a German phenomenon because we see it in Germany, we see it in Norway, and we see it in Thailand. And we in Europe often wonder, why do the Americans have so much difficulties there to understand it? Because in countries where you have many poor people and. You know, kind of people who have been to, to, to low-income countries would, would, would agree, I guess, with me. When you, when you step out of a train station and you have homeless, sick people lying in the streets, it's stressful even on the healthy ones. So everybody benefits, and if you have this picture in front of you, you would think, ah, oh, we are all better off if we give decent health services even to these people who sleep on the streets.
0: What about the different systems of universal coverage? Germany is a multi-payer system. There are also single-payer proposals. I mean, Bernie Sanders, you may know, in the U.S. is a big proponent of single-payer health like like Canada. Um, how do you compare those systems? Yeah, I think that is also a bit c-
1: a bit cult- cultural. I mean, if you have a single-payer system, especially if it is tax-funded, tax like in Canada, it's easier to set up I mean because you need fewer rules you have fewer people involved people need to accept obviously to pay taxes and, and so on and possibly uh, having fewer choices themselves where to go to which, which physician which hospital to go which drug to get and so in Germany in that sense I think we are more leaning towards the US that people should have choice and in Germany, you, you, you choose your sickness fund. You, but no matter which sickness fund you're then in, you can choose any physician. You can choose a, any, any hospital. I would say, as an expert, we have probably too much choice. Because people do not have all the information necessary to really decide which hospital is, is the best hospital for, for me. And it, this is the same here in, in the US. I mean, you are attracted. Based partly on, on wrong information, and we know that people then know oh, are, the, are the staff nice, is the canteen good? I mean, I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit here, but obviously, nobody of us, let's say, comes uh, new, new, new Year's Day, we would for chronically ill, it's a bit, di- it's a bit different. So, if you are a chronically ill diabetic and you know you will have diabetes for, for the entire year and the years to come. You might join a self-help group, you get much more information really how to care for yourself. And these patients are are often, especially if they have a certain degree of health literacy, they are well informed what to do. But the rest of us, I mean, we cannot think, okay, maybe this year I have an acute myocardial infarction. If I have an acute myocardial infarction, which hospital would I go to? Oh, maybe I have a traffic accident. First of all, I would need to know, okay, where do I have my traffic accident and which would be the most suitable hospital uh, in in this area? So we trust that there are institutions and this is the role of the third party payer. So the role of the sickness fund in Germany, what you call a a health system here. Um, We say in Europe, health system is the whole thing. You say the health system are these uh, bits and pieces or your health plan you we would hope that they know which would be the best hospital to get treatment for an acute myocardial infarction and this is why choice can be too much because you, we 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 you know we we don't have all, all the information so there needs to be a trade off that we have choices but that somebody advises us which would be the best choice for us maybe there is is more than one one good choice but in germany we have Many hospitals, a bit like a bit like here. And obviously, when you think about it, fortunately, and this is the, the public health person in me, the epidemiolo- epidemiologist, in Germany we have, just as an example, we have per day 500 people who have a myocardial uh, infarction, 500 per day. But we have 1,400 hospitals treating patients with an acute myocardial infarction meaning that an average hospital gets gets uh, like three patients per per week and when you think about it if a hospital sees three myocardial infarctions per week you know that they are not uh, have specialists uh, there who are there 20, 24 24 7 and and many people when we are only in let's say in, in health economics you never think about these, number of 500. But it's important when we talk about health systems, healthcare, that we bring these different perspectives together.
0: And that's the problem of overcapacity, as you, as you mentioned. It's just um, you, you have uh, so many hospitals, and in each hospital you have three cases per day, so there's no point for them to staff the specialists. Yes, yeah.
1: and that has two, two sides. I mean, we, we both have the problem. We, we have so many hospitals, we have so many hospital beds, which brings two problems. The people who really need good treatment because they, they have an accident, a major trauma, acute myocardial infarction, a stroke, they would need to go to fewer hospitals when, which all have then enough patients to be well prepared 24-7, have all the technology necessary. But even if we do that, then what would the other hospitals do? So the other hospitals would then have an even higher incentive to admit patients who don't really need to be admitted because they have empty beds and they make
0: their money by treating patients. So that's the problem of over-treatment then. Uh, So you mentioned this concept of consolidation. You said that's crucial for Germany's ongoing health system development. Um, What are some of the challenges you foresee implementing the consolidation effort? Do you see political resistance or?
1: Well, the first thing is a bit like here in the US, that we have a a multitude of uh, different types of hospitals. So we have public hospitals, we have private not-for-profit hospitals, and we have for-profit hospitals. And while many, not necessarily all, but an increasing number of people, also policymakers agree that we have too many hospitals, in an average little town, let's say you have one public hospital, one hospital run by the Red Cross, and one private-for-profit hospital, all three would say, yeah, one would be enough, but none, nobody is willing to close his or her own hospital. And so that is a big, uh, that is a big challenge, that, that, that the hospital owners have to be brought on board. The other challenge is that while many people agree that small hospitals are un- unnecessary because they don't have enough cases to treat patients, when it comes to closing down small hospitals, that then often the local population, the mayors in their town, uh, go to the streets, have demonstrations, even though if they were ill themselves, they would never go to this hospital because they know they get bit bad treatment. And so we have this dichotomy in, in the people's mind that they want the small hospital, even though they would never use it. And, and we need to have an open debate and our neighboring country, Denmark, is a good example uh, because they have really done a whole reorganization of the hospital sector, but they went to the population and said, okay, people, do you want a hospital in 15 minutes distance, but you know when you, when you get there, they don't have a stroke unit, so you get worse treatment for your stroke? Or are you willing to go 30 or 45 minutes and you know there is, there is staff available they have a stroke unit and you get get much better care so they really force the population to decide to decide and make and 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 answer this question and the question is crucial we fortunately have for most diseases relatively few patients and when you think like this you realize that, that that we need concentration in the hospital sector I mean when I studied medicine Maybe I should have said that. I studied medicine and, and, and public health before becoming a professor at a, at <laughs> an, uh, at a faculty of economics and, and management. So when I studied public, uh, medicine in the 1980s, the treatment of an acute myocardial infarction patient was basically bed rest. So we would put people to bed for 14 days and obviously such a bed could be in a small hospital because you didn't need any other expertise. But but nowadays you need angiography, you need you need to stenting and, and everything. So it's a highly complex, urgent case and you cannot tell the patient, or you should not tell the patient, we wait until the next morning before we do something. But if you don't have the specialist in the middle of the night, then these things happen. And so <coughs> you know medicine has ev- has evolved, and so healthcare structures need to follow
0: it, So what are some of the good things from Germany's model that could be exported? You mentioned Denmark, you also wrote about Switzerland's decentralized system in previous publications. Uh, how do you compare those systems? Do you think germany's model is is doing really well overall Well, I mean it is. It's doing well in,
1: in the respect that we give choice, that, that not only the people themselves have, have, have many rights, but also the, the institutions themselves. The downside is that, that this high degree of what we call self-governance, so that we have this federal joint committee making the decisions. Obviously, I think you don't need to be a well-trained uh, policy analyst to understand that the Hospital Federation that uh, that this federal joint committee passes a decree to, to reduce the number of hospitals from 2000 to 1000 let's say they would oppose this so self governance has clearly its its strength because it takes all the all the views on board gives the rights to to all the people but it cannot tackle some of the underlying challenges so we need to readjust a, a bit the pendulum. Obviously, we will not go as centralized as, 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 as Denmark, but we need to be able to learn from Denmark. And this, I think, is the underlying thing. When you look at different health systems, usually you cannot simply copy it. Many people after the fall of the Iron Curtain in 1989 in Central and Eastern Europe thought, they could take the German social code book, which regulates healthcare in Germany, simply translate it into Czech or Hungarian, and then the, their system would be like this. No, that is that is not possible. But you should see, okay, for my problems, what is adaptable, and let's say you know, for 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 the US, probably you cannot copy any system. But I already said we 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 have in Germany maybe. Many of the underlying ideas that you have choice, that, that you don't want to force people to do certain things, uh, are closest to you. But we have realized that in order to ensure access for everybody, that there needs to be what we call the collective contract. So that the sickness funds, 110 sickness funds, have the same contracts with all the hospitals to ensure access and to regulate prices. So that everybody knows, I in any hospital I go, I'd be treated under roughly the same conditions. As I said they are not really the same because some hospitals do not have an angiography unit and other ones, other, other ones do. But the legal situation is in a way that, that, that it gives a security to, uh, to people. So the German system, and this is a struggle because we have to take, this is a similar struggle like here, we have to take choices away from from people because sometimes we know that choices are bad for your health and and this is diff- this is a difficult message to to bring across we currently have a have a debate in germany whether the the measles immunization should should be mandatory because we have too many measles cases because too many people refuse immunizations and then we now say okay in order to to send your kid to kindergarten it needs it needs to have measles Im, Im, immunization but it is a fine battle between being mandatory and and giving rights and choices to to
0: persons or their parents uh, you mentioned that we can't just copy other people's systems there's no perfect system but do we see, I mean, as the world become more globalized, as technology advances, as we become uh, richer and richer and more developed, do, will will we ever find a good, ideal, perfect system that can truly actually be applied throughout many, many countries? Because I feel like Germany has a very successful model. You could potentially export that to many other places, right?
1: Well, or- I think there are, so, I mean, and this is the. Either- the bit in me which does uh, health system performance assessment. Because, I mean, this comes from the other direction. Yep. You say, okay, I look at the health systems of the world and have indicators which tell me whether a health system is, is doing well or not so well. And so this goes the other, other way. You then look at the, at the high-performing systems and look, okay, what do the high-performing system systems do differently than, than, than the low-performing systems. And, and from that, we know that there are certain underlying characteristics like universal health coverage. Universal health coverage is an important precondition. Whether you then say, OK, I make it mandatory and it's tax financed, this might be less acceptable in certain countries. Or you say, OK, people, it's mandatory, but you have the choice to which of the 110 sickness funds you, you, you go. I would say in many countries that would, is probably the better way. You still need to ensure that people are doing this. But this is the same than the, the, the regulation that you need to have a driver's license to drive a car. I mean, yes, you need regulation and you need enforcement, but you would still allow people to buy whatever car they, they want. But whatever car they buy, they, in any case, need, need, need a driver's license. And so, so we, we, can, we can learn from, from, these, from, from, from these things and, and look maybe not at the exact solutions. For example, you can argue, why do we have 110 sickness funds? then usually say oh we used to have 20,000 so 110 is actually already a quite reduced number but who can really say whether 70 would not be better but maybe 200 would would be better and countries have to find this out also how much emphasis they put on decentralization for example I mean this the Swiss system puts more solidarity on the cantons so people in their direct neighborhood, they have a higher degree of solidarity and much of the financial redistribution is limited to their canton. While in Germany we say the financial redistribution unit is the entire country, even though this is also disputed like Bavaria is often saying, why should we pay <laughs> for this and this other part? And we see this debate, and it's also in tax finance systems. When you go to Italy, big debates how much tax money should be going from the north to, to, to the south. So the, the underlying questions are all the same. And the, 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 the measures, the indicators on which we judge how well a system is doing are also the same the exact solutions have to be fine-tuned from country to country
0: totally makes sense uh europe is getting older 30 percent of nearly the entire region's population will be over 60 by 2050 uh do you think europe will be able to handle such drastic demographic transformation and in addition to that i mean there's a lot of refugees coming to germany coming to europe these days um, what kind of impact would that have?
1: Let's start with, the, with, with, with getting older. I mean, there is, this, is, this is also one of these myths because people look at the current health status and the current healthcare utilization of people now. And, and, and clearly, because we are getting older, we are not getting older because we are sick. We are getting older because we are healthier. So uh, uh, today, a 70-year-old is much healthier than a 70-year-old 30 years ago. And this is why we are getting older. And so once we are getting even older, people will be healthier at any, at any given age. So the, the, um, the, 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 the correlation be- between the number of aged or the percentage of aged and health expenditure is by, even by many politicians o- often over estimated. The relationship is, is, is weak. The bigger problem is the, um, how long people are economically active or how early they, they, they retire. Because their health insurance has to be paid by, by, by somebody. And these are the active parts of the population. And so the more pensioners we have, because pensions are lower than wages, then, then we, we have a gap in the money being available for healthcare. So, so so the thing is is really is not expenditure; it is the income for the health system. And, but on the other hand, a good health system will ensure that people are healthier. They stay productive longer. Uh, they have less sick days, and so on. Clearly, and we, we, we currently, after many, many countries, have increased pension age. We see again a debate, which I think is, is wrong, that, that, that people should retire relatively early, because that we cannot not afford. We need to basically say, okay, if more people are old, it's a good thing. I mean, we all want to get old. As individuals, we all want to become old. So it's good if the society gets older, if life expectancy goes, goes uh, higher. But then, we cannot afford that 50% of the population are pensioners, so we have to work longer and contribute to, to the income. The refugee issue is, first of all, even Germany with the highest number of ref- refugees, it is, we, we are talking, uh, even in, at the height of the refugee uh, influx, uh, we are talking about 1% of the population in one year, which was clearly a big influx of, of refugees. And uh, on the one hand, because we get older, we need more younger people. Germany's economy is booming. There are very few unemployed left, so we need more working age people. You, car- you see more and more stores now in Germany which have signs we are closing early because we don't have staff. Um, so you know when you go to a bakery they say oh we have to close at 5 p.m. because we, we don't have persons who, who keep our store open until 8. So we need people. I think they are w- and, and many political parties did not accept that. And that's why we, we, we still don't have an Im- immigration law. So clearly it would have been cleverer to have an immigration law and really make a better, more founded decision who should come. Um, maybe we also overestimated the degree of education of the, of, 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 of the refugees. But I mean, it's not the case as many people think that that still there are masses uh, coming, and 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 the refugees are on average young, and have below average healthcare needs at least currently.
0: So it won't have too dramatic of an impact. That, that you no, see. I mean it's 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 not
1: the refugee thing, uh, at least not for healthcare. I mean that people who, who are not yet working, and that we do need to do language courses, integrate them into the labor market. I mean, that is a bigger challenge than, 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 in, healthcare. than, than, than in healthcare.
0: As technological innovations advance, a lot of people say we'll very soon see biologically and genetically engineered humans, uh, which would pretty much change what it means to be humans. And uh, I'm very curious from the perspective, uh, as a health expert, how do you see? How do you envision the future of healthcare, biological engineering, pharmaceutical industry, uh, the ethics, the, the morality uh, related to the issues there as well?
1: I mean, these are cl- these are big challenges, and the ethic challenges is, is is not my specialty. But clearly, I'm thinking about these, and and it it raises important. It raises important. Uh, uh, issues which are difficult, I think, to already know from today's sit situation how this will, will develop. I think it's a bit similar uh, as in the uh, traffic uh, sector when we talk about at, uh, autonomous driving and who would be responsible if an autonomously driving car will do an accident. So these are questions which we probably with which we, even, we don't know all the questions yet, let alone can answer them. I'm a health system person, and, and, and clearly I see that uh, new technologies get more and more expensive, and, and there we, we will get probably even in countries like Germany where we currently really don't talk about this cost effectiveness or how much we are able to pay per year of life gained at some stage we, we will get in, in, into that debate because we now see new treatments coming where the treatment for an individual costs several hundreds of thousands of euro or dollars and clearly that raises the question how much health do we, do we expect that such a treatment will, will, will really bring? Clearly, if, if a patient is treated for half a million dollars and dies one month later, we will not be able to, to pay that. On the other hand, if we have relatively young people with really aggressive cancers, and we, we only have to pay 500000 and the person is, is, is healthy and productive for the rest of, of, of his life, we would probably say, hey, that's a good deal. Uh, this person will contribute more to the uh, gross domestic product than, than, than we now invest. But I think we have to come at grips that these economic considerations, besides the ethical considerations, will necessarily become more important.
0: Uh, you now run health policy it's an international peer-reviewed journal that really aims to provide a platform for comparisons between different countries health systems and policies Um, for example your recent issue in April 2019 was examining health policy developments in East Asia so how do you make yourself informed about health policy in such a wide range of areas what's the mindset you have when thinking about health policy related issues
1: well, it's, it's a bit related from what i said said before. I mean, that we have certain universally applicable goals for health systems. And I think we all want that, that, that we get in entire populations good population health and that for each individual, is also expecting that that he will have a good life and good life can be living longer and living better in terms of quality of life and so on and we look at the health system contribution obviously that public health person in me says that good environmental policies good education and so on is also important but this is outside the main scope really also of this of this journal so we concentrate on whole health systems health policies and in order to, to really produce health for the population, we need good accessibility to health services. And good accessibility means that people are covered. They have health insurance without too big cost sharing. Because otherwise, what good is the health insurance? If, if you still cannot afford it, that means that we need to have good geographical accessibility uh, of physicians of hospitals that we need to cover drugs also new drugs even if they are expensive which are beneficial and and cost effective and then when people have the access we need to ensure the quality so there is a certain and when you really put it down and i have a list of questions which i, I meet a lot of policymakers ministers and so on and the, the list of questions they have is really limited like on access quality and, and, and so on. And, um, and health policy is based on the same list of questions, based basically, and we put a lot of emphasis on, on how do con- what do countries do, how well do they reach the objectives, but equally to where do other countries then get these ideas, uh, how, how do they copy that, How important is is, is it for for them? So I I have this list in our guide for authors. where One can see some of these criteria. And this helps me to decide which articles we uh, we need and and which articles we don't. And I feel, and I mean, that is the interesting thing about it, because I get all these articles, but we have the European Observatory on Health Systems where I see a lot of countries. We have this network of institutions from many high income countries and we meet regularly to to, to debate issues and obviously one needs to uh, have this global view to see where where the journey is taking us. Too many of my colleagues around the world usually only know about their own system and and if you don't understand the peculiarities about your own system, they know that, that other countries are different But you always assume the other countries are a bit different in this and the other direction. But we also have to learn where our country is maybe one extreme. And and my journal is trying to help people to understand and make the health systems in our world better.
0: Uh, The Lancet did a profile on you uh, a little while ago and it mentioned this fun anecdote that Uh, when the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies was established in 1998 and you were invited to lead the hub in Madrid. um, A lot of your colleagues in Germany thought you were giving up a good job in Germany, um, in Hanover, I think. And are you a risk taker? What what made you go through that decision to become, to go take the position?
1: Well, I mean, the there, there was, I mean, there was—I mean, there is this more intrinsic motivation. I'm doing what I'm doing, and I also have never regretted to have studied medicine because I mean, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm like a doctor for populations, <laughs> and and I want to do this, and I feel that, that this is really worth doing. So that was the one bit. The other bit was that, in the in at least twen- 20 years ago, there was. First of all, there was much less research, and big journals were really only clinical journals. This has changed, and you're citing The Lancet. The Lancet itself has become much more health systems and public health uh, oriented. And those people who were there 20 years ago were mainly from the Anglo-Saxon countries. And I felt that, and and so, so many people outside, or globally, only read about the UK and the US, and did not really understand what is happening in France or in Germany for that matter and I felt it would also be a good thing if we have a more uh, you know more informed debate uh, internationally where more experience from different countries is is brought to the table so I, I felt it, it was a good sw- change to, to to go to to the op- to the observatory and I didn't want to stay at the research, uh, uh, researcher, research fellow level anyway. So I felt that this would be a good for my career and for health policy uh, internationally, and, and I've never regretted it.
0: Um, so you've been constantly ranked as the top 10 most influential German economist and most prominent health economist by the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. I mean, ever since you made that decision, uh, what do you think is the quality or vision that carried you throughout this career? And, w- and what should someone like me, who, who's uh, who doesn't know too much about p- health but w- is interested in the topic, how should the people like us think about health issues?
1: Yeah. Okay, I think there are two, at least two important messages. The one is that we as researchers should not sit in our ivory tower. And produce papers and the papers even if the papers are in good journals high impact factor but only our the the ten colleagues who are in the same area read read them we need to find a way first of all that we do whether that we do research which is relevant for societies and therefore also for for policymakers and we need to find a way to commune to to communicate the, the the findings and that means that many researchers many academics always say oh, more research is needed you know i cannot make a final statement but policy makers they need to make these decisions so so we and the evidence-based medicine, evidence-based health policy person in me says, okay, we talk about best available evidence. Maybe the evidence we have today, and usually the evidence will be incomplete, but we can give the best available evidence to policymakers, and we should strive to, to produce better uh, evidence. The second point is that is really more relating to researchers like you, and I have I have 30 staff like 10 are uh, postdoctoral, 20 are PhD students. And clearly we debate these things. Often they hear to that in today's world of academia you have to be really subspecialized to 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 progress. And I say from my perspective this is wrong. Because I mean the world is getting more complex and we need more interdisciplinary uh, research. So you cannot be too subspecialized. Obviously, everybody should have certain foci of interest and expertise, but you need to understand how these things come together. And that comes right back to what I said at, 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 at the beginning, when people ask me, what is your specialization? I say, my specialization is not to be specialized, but to, to see how things in healthcare, health policy, health economics come together, and I think we need more people who
0: have these, who have this broad view. Awesome. So, so the name of our show is Policy Punchline. So I have to ask you at the very end, uh, what is the punchline here? Healthcare, health policy, health systems, anything? The punchline.
1: <laughs> um, the the pa- the punchline is. I mean, we 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 have the goals, but we can still make it better. And we as academics should really contribute to that and put this higher than the next journal article.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Busser. That was a great conversation. You're welcome. And this concludes this episode of Policy Punchline. Uh, please visit us on policypunchline.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at PolicyPunchline, Rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you for listening today.